0: Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. I'm back this week with another fabulous interview with a really fascinating person This week, a French woman named Camille. I'm going to let her pronounce the rest of her name for you. And she actually talks about a few things that have never been on this podcast before, which can really save you a lot of money if you plan accordingly. Also, we talk about how you really often don't have any idea what your path is going to end up being in life. But if you just start on that path, you will be amazed where it takes you. Also, I have to say, I think Camille has one of my favorite meet cute stories of meeting a boy on the road that I've ever heard and I made her tell me this story again. I think she's told me the story now three or four times but I really hope you enjoy it and it's a really unusual way to meet somebody and it proves that you can really meet someone in the strangest of places and circumstances. So I hope you enjoy this interview with Camille. Welcome to episode 15 of the School of Travels podcast Today, I am very happy to be joined by my lovely friend, Camille Poiret. Thank you for that beautiful French pronunciation, Camille. I had to help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you for joining us. Uh, I'm so excited to hear about your travel story because you've got some good things to share. So first of all, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've been traveling
1: for coming up to six years. There will be six years in one month oh wow um and the first three years i think were solo and for the last no that the first four years and then for the last two years um i've been traveling with my boyfriend um we're both digital nomads which means that we can roam the world together while working online
0: i have so many questions but we'll get there (laughs) very nice but how did you first start traveling when did you first become inspired to travel so, actually, I would say um, as an adult, well, first of all, let's
1: rewind to my childhood. I would say my parents gave me a taste for travel because uh, when we were young with my sister, they took us on a lot of trips. And especially what they liked to do would be to do road trips in France, which is my home country. And every holiday, they would take us on a road trip through a different part of France. So, I'm one of those people who knows their country really well, <laughs> unlike most people, because I have actually traveled through almost every part of France with my parents. And that kind of gave me that taste for independent travel, because we would um, yeah, just go in our car and then sleep like one night at one place, and then move on and stay two nights somewhere else. And I really enjoyed that kind of gave me a sense of adventure. Um, And then as an adult, I would say, so I I feel like I didn't really travel for a few years or not as much. And then one year I was single, I was living in the UK and I couldn't really find anyone to go on holiday with me. And I decided to sign up for this um, um, kind of organized holiday for singles Um, which wasn't actually like a group thing it was just uh, they organized they helped you organize something and i went to spain to granada uh, to learn spanish but i'd already learned spanish so to revise my spanish let's say and for a week and it was like a horse riding and spanish language holiday and there i realized that i absolutely love to travel on my own in that way And I made a lot of friends there. I don't know, I just had a really good time. And then I was like, oh yeah, I love doing that. I'd kind of forgotten how much I like to travel and to have uh, this kind of spontaneous experience, meeting people from everywhere and just connecting with people. So that's kind of, I think for me, that was a trigger. um, At least something that like set me on the path of deciding to travel longer term.
0: So Eventually. you went traveling by yourself, but you were with a group. Yeah, it was kind in. of
1: in between. It wasn't um, It wasn't fully like a group thing. It was just when I went to Granada, and then I was enrolled um, at the Spanish language school. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had classes every day, so I made friends at the school. And then I had uh, horse riding lessons where I also made friends. And I was, uh, as part of this... Um, trip I had uh, accommodation organized for me in kind of a shared house and I also made friends there and basically yeah I made a lot of friends that way um, and we you know we were free to do whatever we wanted outside of like um, activities hours and um, had such a great time that I was like oh I just love that sense of freedom and adventure and
0: also yeah meeting people from everywhere and That's great. (laughs) And then what happened from there? So this is the trigger.
1: Um, So I think that planted the seed in my mind that I was really enjoying that, and I wanted to do more of that. And then so the 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 actual trigger that sent me traveling, that kind of made me quit my life, as I like to say it, (laughs) uh, was. Um, it was a little like less happy thing, but I got sick at one point and um, I'm quite severely ill. And when I started recovering from that, I just kind of had that realization that I um, wanted to do more with my life, and I wanted yeah, I wanted more out of life. I guess and um, life is short. Yes, mm-hmm. and I had. At the time, I had a good job. I had just a few months before moved into what I thought was my dream house share. I was living in the U K, so I couldn't afford my own place. <laughs> I love that but, dream house share. <laughs> yes, my dream house share, not dream house. Uh, but yeah, I was uh, so I had this really nice apartment that I was sharing with cool people, and I had a boyfriend kind of a good relationship, a good job and I don't know, I always felt like something was missing and to an extent I think that might have been one of the reasons I got really sick, Mm -hmm. Um, just like feeling like something was wrong and then uh, when I started getting better I decided I had to get away from it all. And, yeah, also when when I met my boyfriend, um, I was planning to go on a round-the-world trip and then I met my boyfriend and I kind of put that plan aside, you know, and then I thought, okay, this is time to revive that plan and to finally
0: do it. And that's how it started. Well, I like what you're kind of saying about how travel is... I mean, we, you've said that you love travel, but travel yeah. is also this just like, letting off the, I don't want to use the word chains, but I will, like, kind of like letting yeah. off the chains and the ropes that you've been feeling tied under, and yeah, even if maybe you don't even love travel, which I know you do, but yeah. someone could just use travel as that vehicle to, like, mentally loosen everything up.
1: Yeah, I think so. I mean, some people, you know, say, oh, when I, when I express the desire to go travel on my own, you know, around the world, a lot of people, including my family, were very, um, judgmental of that or I'm not very happy about my uh, decision but and you know one of the things they would say is uh, you're running away you're running away from your problems you know you've just been sick you're running away well why not run away <laughs> like, run way to find something <laughs> why would I yeah exactly maybe I was run, running towards something rather than running away but I also think if you're stuck in a situation that is not like good for you you're not happy why is it bad to run away from that situation that is making you unhappy?
0: Right, you know? and now we're so connected all the time anyway. It's so yes. easy to contact the people back home. Exactly.
1: So I think when if people tell you you're running away from something, well, maybe you need to. Maybe there is no good reason to stay in a situation where you're feeling stuck or you're feeling unhappy. So.
0: And sometimes I have two friends that... I mean, I don't think they ran away, but they did run away. Yeah. And then they started traveling, and they realized they did love their home. And they yes. moved back and got jobs yeah. again. And Absolutely.
1: Yeah. And I don't think you know long-term travel like I'm doing is for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, I know some people who you know are trying to encourage everyone to do it, and I don't do that because
0: I don't think it's
1: right for everyone.
0: But it can work for some people. <laughs> right. So you started this six-year journey got on the road and started where did where did yeah. all the like what are some places that this journey took you to um
1: it's taken me to so i started in south america which was absolutely my dream to go to oh. and that actually goes back a long way because i think the reason i really wanted to go there was because of do you know tintin comic books
0: i've seen <laughs> i've seen a lot of, i haven't read a lot of them but i've seen a lot of the posters and things like that yeah so they're really big in France.
1: They're yeah, we kind of French children grow up with Tintin. <laughs> so for me, it was like a big influence.
0: I did read Le Petit Prince, uh, and oh, that yeah, was yeah. so dreamy to me. It yeah. made me, you know, spark my <laughs> yeah. imagination.
1: Yeah, so um, Tintin. Yeah, so there is uh, there are these um, Tintin books where he goes to South America and. I don't know, it's all like a mystery with the Incas and there's a curse and mummies and everything and I was like,
0: yes, (laughs) I want to experience that. Maybe
1: not the curse, but (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to, I don't know, just kind of turn South America into this dream for me, like just this really remote and fascinating place. And was it remote and fascinating when you got there? It was, yeah. yeah. I love uh, it when it matches with your dream. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, different parts of South America, I think the countries are very different. but.
0: Um, I think Machu Picchu does, though, doesn't it? When you yes, see that, it really... Yes. I think Peru
1: and Bolivia are really, for me, were like the embodiment of what I was imagining when I was thinking of South America. And then you have also some countries that are a bit more alike to um, yeah western countries like Argentina and Chile you know a bit more developed so I actually start, started there and at first I was a bit like oh maybe it's not exactly the South America I was thinking of but then I go to Peru and Bolivia Ecuador as well and yeah <laughs> it was like in the in the books that I used to read
0: so wow yeah it sounds like so much adventure yeah and your Spanish you said was already very good by then you'd revised it back in (laughs) Granada yes exactly Um,
1: when I it wasn't perfect when I arrived in South America but I started actually by taking a two week class I think um, to get up to you know get my level back up and then um, yeah that was a good basis for traveling in South America for four months afterwards
0: I love how it's all mostly Spanish that you can once you get a handle on it yes access so many countries yes exactly
1: and I really think uh, for South America it's it makes a huge difference to be able to speak at least a little bit of Spanish you know um, I've always found that the people there are they respond to you so much if you speak just a few words of Spanish mm-hmm. uh, you have like you kind of build a con- connection with them
0: very easily that way so wow yeah <laughs> well, that's great i'm glad you got so much time down there yeah and then you got you were done for a while with south america where yeah, next
1: um so the thing is when i planned my round the world trip i i was a bit of an over planner at the time something that has changed over the years yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so before i left i actually bought around the world ticket. so I don't know if you've heard of that, but it's... um, We do have that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. um, Airline alliances that offer these kind of consolidated um, ticket passes. Mm -hmm. So you buy them in advance. So I had to plan in advance um, my flights.
0: And I know normally you're not allowed to go backwards. From, exactly, yes. If you start going east to west, you have to keep headed, yeah. heading west. And
1: you also you know? have a number of segments of flights, let's say, uh, included within the pass. So I couldn't really add new stops. Um, I could do it overland, but I couldn't add new flights. Um, so, I, you know, I was kind of tied to that. Um, so After four months in South America, I'd, already, I'd planned already before to fly from there to New Zealand, and then Australia, and then Southeast Asia, okay. Eh? East Asia. Would you recommend people booking around the world tickets,
0: or...? Honestly, just...
1: I think it worked really well for me at the time, um, mm-hmm. it was what I needed because I will say, when I first decided to do this, I was overwhelmed with choice. And I found that this really focused me on... Because these passes, they have rules. So I couldn't just, you know, zigzag across continents all the time. I had to build a route that made sense. Mm-hmm. And for me, it helped me to make a decision on where I was going to go. And it's it's actually pretty economical. It's, it saves you a lot of money. Um, I can't remember. I don't want to say something wrong, but I think it was maybe... Under two thousand five hundred euros for fourteen or fifteen flights.
0: Oh my goodness! Yes, it is
1: very um, well priced. Yes. So for that reason, I think if you are someone who is not sure yet where you want to go, or you're, or you are sure and you know you know you want to go from here, from point A to B to C, then it's a good option. Um, uh, if you think. You might prefer to just play by ear and you know decide where you're going next as you go then it's not a good option. I see. Uh, And the other thing to know is that um, the pass is limited to a year so you can most of them I think are limited to one year so if you know in advance that you're gonna travel for longer than one year it's probably not
0: gonna not gonna work for you. Okay. Yeah. I also know in the States, at least, you can, and I'm sure around the world, you can actually get these passes with your miles. Ah, and yeah. there's different levels. You could do economy pass, business class pass, or even right. first class. But, I mean, if you can get that first class pass, imagine like 10 yes. flights <laughs> in first class. It's so much cheaper than it would be. That would be great. I wish I had that option. We don't, we don't have miles, so I had to buy it all, but yeah. yeah. For anybody who's a miles junkie who's listening to this. Yes. It is an option, but um, yeah. it's hard to get to that level. Yeah. So you have to plan. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I would say kind of just learn about the pros and cons. You know, while I was planning that trip, I read a lot of blogs that were saying, do not buy these round-the-world passes and do it all on your own. And I felt like that was kind of the um, dominant advice.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I thought about what I needed, and it made more sense for me at the
0: time. It's, it's great that you've brought up this as an option for people. Yes. Yeah. Because like you said, everybody has their different needs. Yeah. So. All right. So you're like, okay, I'm leaving South America. I'm going to New Zealand. I'm going to yeah. Australia. I'm going then on to Southeast Asia. Yeah. Any any highlights from that section of your... Um,
1: yeah, mainly. <laughs> well, it's like, yeah,
0: it's like, how long is your podcast? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> how
1: many days do we have? Well, this,
0: I've never... Well, six years of travel. <laughs>
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, what would be highlights? Sierra? Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm kind of one of these people who cannot choose a favorite. I really <laughs> hate it when people ask me, what's your favorite country? Or like, what's the favorite place you've been? or, Because I feel like I like almost everywhere. That's good. Um, yeah, I find good things in every place. So mm-hmm. um, for me... Were you not working that whole year? No, I wasn't. I was okay. really traveling on my savings at the time. I did not really have it in mind yet to become a digital nomad or you a know, location independent professional. Um, I, it was actually a little bit in the back of my mind because before going I had been reading a lot of travel blogs and I'd realized that some people uh, were working while traveling and for me that was a big discovery and... But I didn't really realize... I thought it was very few people. I thought it was very, a very small number of people and it was very hard to set yourself up in that way. Um, so I, it was kind of a, a wish, but not really something I felt was realistic for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, but I did start a blog Partly in that hope that it was gonna take off while I was traveling, and then I was gonna start earning money from it and maybe
0: become one of those nomads working while traveling. Nice. Yeah. Did you keep up that blog for a long time or? Yes, yeah, still, still have, have it. <laughs>
1: okay, all right. I still have it. Um, the blog never really. Worked out as a main income source for me. It it is. It does bring me a bit of money, but it's not my main occupation. Let's say mm-hmm. um, it's more of a let's say semi professional thing for me.
0: Is it? Were you writing in French? No,
1: okay. I was writing in English. Um, I actually left France when I was eighteen, and I went to live in the UK. I went to study in the UK for um, higher education and. I stayed there for nine years, okay. so I have been living in English, let's say, for now, I mean, what? I don't know. <laughs> What's <it> like? <laughs> you don't have to tell you your age, it's okay. <laughs> Wait, 15 years, 15 years, yeah. Doing the math. Yeah. <laughs> so I've lived outside of France almost as long as I've lived in France.
0: Nowadays, so. it's really interesting as a traveler and expat when you hit that milestone. Yeah, I'm a bit scared actually of when that's gonna happen because I think that'll be a bit of a shock for me. Yeah, I'm working on my halfway point. Yeah, just with being outside and with my country yeah. and yeah. I know it's oh. <laughs> it's a little odd, but yeah. Uh, well, we can. Um, I know there's there's many travel stories we could talk about, but you know what I'm gonna ask you about. You mentioned that you you were traveling alone for, you said, four years, right? And then yes. the last two, you've been traveling with your boyfriend, and I wonder how you met him. Yes. I mean, to have a traveling boyfriend along with you, that that can be a challenge to like find and then convince both of you to be on the same path.
1: Yes. So I met my boyfriend in the most random circumstances, and kind of the worst possible situation. <laughs> <laughs> the <worst>. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, I was traveling in Laos with some friends, and we were doing a motorcycling um, loop in the south of Laos. Oh, wow. And it was quite an adventurous thing, and basically on the third day of the loop, just a few kilometers away from our destination, I had an accident. Oh, no. And I broke my arm. The traveler's worst nightmare. Yes, so I broke my arm. I was really stranded in the middle of the Lao countryside, and this is another a whole different story. But I actually had um, a local shaman try to heal my arm with like
0: performing traditional rituals, which was was just lo- like on site, like right where you'd fallen off. You're yes. laying, and the shaman appears, yes.
1: like what? so the villagers. <laughs> came up to me and called this um, medicine man from the village who arrived with some candles, with some... I don't know, a lot of props, and just started performing strange rituals on my arm while I was writhing in pain.
0: <laughs> were you, like, you know, just screaming at him, or, like, <laughs> screaming was, for an I ambulance? was <laughs> just,
1: like, so confused by it all, and I was with my friends, you know, and they were kind of laughing at it, <laughs> and f- trying to film it, you know, <laughs> because they were just thinking this will make a really good story. Um, It is making a good (laughs) Yes. So yeah, um, he just started like inhaling smoke from a candle and then blowing it on my arm and then he wrote kind of incantations on my shoulder and it did not work. It did not fix my broken arm. Really? Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So then I was uh, driven back to the hospital anyway in the nearest town and... There, I was a bit scared because the hospital was kind of in the middle of the jungle. It felt completely, I don't know, there was vegetation everywhere and it was all open air. And I got seen by a specialist and he told me, yeah, we're going to operate on you tomorrow and then you stay in the hospital for two weeks. And I saw the hospital, it was like literally patients were crammed, like 15 people in one room and I was like, I am not spending two weeks here, I will catch something rather than get healed. So I was a little scared and I called my insurance eventually and I found out they had an agent based in Laos. And they referred me to them and they arranged for me to be driven to the capital city, Vientiane. So I could be seen by a French clinic there.
0: And you were in a car, like they drove you in a car? Yes, on they the drove way. me in
1: a car, just okay. me, like private transfer um, for free, which was really like, I don't know, for me it was miraculous. <laughs> I was so grateful. Um, even though it was really bumpy and I kept like just bumping my arm, but I was just so happy because the other alternative to go back to the capital was like a 10 hour journey on a bus, you know. With, mm-hmm. with People with chickens, <laughs> so, wow. like chickens, and so yeah. Um, and then I arrived in Vientiane, and I was a little unsure what to do. My friends had decided to keep traveling without me, so they did not come back with me uh, to the capital. And I basically went back to the hotel where I'd stayed in Vientiane before, because that was the only place I knew there.
0: You'd feel so alone at this point.
1: Yeah, I was I was really down. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next day, I went to the clinic for the first time, and then they, you know, set me up with appointments at the local hospital so I could get um, x-rays. and Anyway, and in between appointments, I went to my hotel, and I was working there in the cafe because through all this, I still had some work to do because I was working while traveling, right? So... I had some editing to do with one arm. With deadlines. <laughs> yes, yeah, so with one arm. And actually the arm that the arm I was working was my left arm and I'm left-handed, so <laughs> that oh. made it even worse. Yeah. Um, so I was working in the cafe of my hotel in between appointments, and then this guy suddenly comes to sit there. <laughs> Wait, what?
0: <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like a a Laotian man? uh, No. No,
1: a Western guy. (laughs) Even stranger. A blonde man. (laughs) tall blonde stranger. Um, And, you know, we kind of exchanged looks, but I was focusing on my work, you know, very serious. Yeah, you were not in the mood, I'm sure. No, I was totally not. By the way, I had bruises all over my face. I had, like, roadburn everywhere. So I looked like Frankenstein. So I was like... I, yeah, no one is gonna fancy me right now, (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh, (laughs) and then um, I go to the toilet at one point, and then I come back to sit at my table, and on the way back, this guy starts chatting to me, and I will tell you the other side of the story, because I know it now, He had seen me and realized that, I don't know, he thought I looked interesting. Of course you did.
0: (laughs) Bruises, Uh, No, So
1: this is the funny part, that when he saw me, uh, the part of me that was bruised was hidden by my laptop. So he only saw the nice part, (laughs) the side that was fine. (laughs) So he did not even realize at the time that I had a broken arm, it was hidden. So he just saw like half of my face that was fine. Um, And he challenged himself to talk to me. He said, uh, he told himself, if she walks past me, I will talk to her. Wow. So when I did he did. And, yeah, we started chatting. And then
0: I invited him to my table. And then, yeah, that's how it started. Wow. That has to be, like you said, one of the most random meetings. Yes. Ever. Yeah. I think so. I, I think... How long was he meant to be in Laos? He he...
1: was there for 24 hours, literally. Uh, He was based in Thailand, and he was doing a visa run, so he had to renew his visa. So he had to get out of Thailand and go to a neighboring country for a few hours. Um, And that's how he ended up uh, in Vientiane for just 24 hours. And he was also not in the best of moods. Uh, He was kind of pissed off that he had to waste, you know, two days traveling to Laho and he didn't really enjoy Vientiane, so he was a little
0: bored. Mm-hmm. So we were both kind of down on ourselves <laughs> when we met. <laughs> down and out, but found each other in a cafe. Yep. <laughs> wow. And then I, I'm guessing that you... Must have followed him back to Thailand, if that's where he was living. Yes, that's
1: what happened. So we, after we just started chatting, uh, we spent the evening together, just you know, purely friendly. We, he took me out to dinner. Um, we were just happy to have company, basically. And then um, he told me that he was going back to Chiang Mai the next day. And I'd already been thinking of going to Chiang Mai to recover from my broken arm because I'd lived there before and I had friends there, so it kind of made sense for me. So when he told me that, I thought, well, I need someone to carry my bags because with my broken arm, I can't really lug all my, you know, my backpack and all my luggage. So I asked him to be my new, <laughs> ah. <laughs> as I like to
0: put it, and he said yes. <laughs> wow. And the next day, we traveled together to Thailand. Mm-hmm. And you, were, you lived happily ever after into the sunset, right? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I haven't. I don't think I've had someone on the podcast before that was doing so much solo travel and then felt the change of traveling then with a partner full-time. Yeah, having such a dramatic shift. So, do you like what? What has it been like, or what are some challenges or benefits, or that you found?
1: Um, so for me, I think like first of all, I when I met Balqoo, my boyfriend, um, I wasn't really looking for someone, but at the same time, I think I was ready to travel with someone.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I wasn't really actively looking, but I had started to feel like. Okay, I've done four years of solo travel, and it's fun, and you're free, but I was starting to feel a little, maybe like lonely is a big word, but I would say I wanted something a bit different, and I was missing a sense of, you know, having stability or a continuity at least in my travels. Mm -hmm. That can be hard to find. Yes. So whether it was, you know, with a friend, uh, finding friends to travel with, or a partner, I was starting to maybe long for that Um, and I think both types of travel have their pros and cons Um, for us it works really well because we are very we have very similar interests we always kind of want to go to the same places so we never fight you know we don't have like uh, situations where he wants to go to Africa and I want to go to Australia and then we're fighting about it. We tend to kind of want to go to the same places. Um, and I think some of the benefits would be, well, we can afford to stay in better places, first of all, because as a solo traveler, I was staying almost exclusively in hostels. That mm-hmm. wasn't a budget, so. There's a big
0: step up, it's a big shift. Yes,
1: however, I absolutely loved hostels while I was a solo traveler I loved it and sometimes I miss it even because there was just a specific I don't know a particular feeling to going from hostel to hostel and making friends there and meeting all these people I think hostels if you're traveling alone or even with friends are possibly the best option because you're gonna make so many friendships connections And I think hostels have kind of a bad reputation, but they have improved so much over the last years, you know. They've become really... Some of them have become really nice, like nicer than some hotels. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the time, I'd been doing hostels for four years, you know, staying mainly in dorms and to be able to suddenly split the... um, the cost of accommodation and being able to stay in a private room with my boyfriend
0: was a big change. Yeah. And I came to really appreciate that. Have you guys ever stayed in private rooms in the hostels? Yeah, we
1: have. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Do you um, find it still kind of not the same experience as being in the dorms?
1: I think, yeah, I, I think you can still go to hostels as a couple, but it will be harder to meet people so you still can but you have to be, make a bit more of an effort because people will see that you're a couple so they will assume that you know you don't really uh, you're kind of self-sufficient and you don't really, need, don't really need to make friends or they will find it harder to approach you so I think if you go to a hostel as a couple you really have to um, make the efforts to go towards people which you do in general but even more so as a, as a couple um But yeah, we we still do it sometimes, um, especially in some destinations where hotel prices are still crazy for us. <laughs> <laughs> yes. um, and yeah, sometimes we like to just go back to hostels and have that feeling of being somewhere very social and um, sometimes hostels offer activities as well that hotels don't, you know, when you're in a hotel, you kinda... In a bubble, sometimes you're a bit isolated. Um, you don't really. There's, there aren't these extras that some hostels can provide, where really they have like a common room where you can hang out. Um, sometimes they have areas where you can work from that hotels are not so good at providing. Um, they have better Wi Fi in general. Because they know that you know young people want to like stay connected, so they provide better Wi-Fi, and yeah, sometimes they offer a lot of activities like cooking classes. You know, I've been to hostels in Argentina where they offer like salsa lessons, <laughs> um, and they have kitchens usually too. Yes, exactly. So you can also cook your own meals. Yeah. So we like to do a mix, um, but I would say in the last couple of years we've become used to hotels and yeah it's just a little more luxury I mean not top luxury but you know just a little more comfort I would say
0: yeah and privacy I would say too just as a couple you feel that's a priority yeah well so okay you were traveling for six years when did you finally start going into the work and travel yes Uh,
1: um that happened after about two years so I, so for me, it was a process. Some people, you know, know straight away that they want to set themselves up as digital nomads and they work towards that. So for me, it didn't happen that way at all. Um, like I said, I kind of had this idea in the back of my mind when I started traveling, but I really first did a round-the-world trip using my savings. So I did not work. Um, and then I actually went back home And so home, let's say, I went back to my parents (laughs) because I was living in the UK before I left to travel, but I gave up everything in the UK. So when I came back from my travels, I did not have anything left in the UK, so I went back to
0: France rather than the UK. Which had to feel so foreign at that point.
1: Yes, so I went back to stay with my
0: parents. (laughs) It <laughs> was a shock. <laughs> oh, yeah. Probably for them, too, to be Yes, yeah. Um,
1: and I started working odd jobs for a few months while I was deciding what to do next. And actually, I remember I got back to my parents, and they were a bit worried about what I was doing, like, what, where my life was going, and, you know. And I arrived, and I said, don't worry, I'm going to get a job. Like, you don't have to worry about me. And then... I think the the same day I got the job. Oh, wow. So I got hired by the local pizza hut to be a pizza delivery woman.
0: (laughs) A girl pizza (laughs) deliverer. Yes, actually,
1: that's not entirely true. I started in the kitchen. Yeah. So they used to they would put the girls in the kitchen and the boys on the scooters doing deliveries, right? But then one day the boys were all sick or something, so no one showed up to work to do deliveries <laughs> and I'd been telling them I can ride a bike because I learned to ride a bike on my travels. Um, And they didn't really, you know, believe me. And then that day, they were like, well, we have no option but to put you on a bike. (laughs) And then they realized I was faster than, like, all the guys because it was in my hometown. So I knew the town so well that I was really fast, you know, doing deliveries. And I was also getting better tips than anyone. (laughs) So (laughs) because, you know, a girl, like people, customers were not used to that. So they tipped me more. So I did that for a few weeks. And then I got hired by a shoe shop. <laughs> and I was selling shoes for <laughs> another couple of months. <laughs> um, so that was an interesting um, phase. And all all the while I was planning to leave again. And I decided I was going to do a working holiday in South Korea. South Korea? Where in the world did this come from? I do not know to this day why I chose South Korea, but um, (laughs) on my round-the-world trip, my last stop was in South Korea, and my cousin was studying there at the time, Okay, and I'd stayed with her, and I'd met her friends, and somehow I'd gotten, gotten on really well with her friends, so I felt like if I went back to South Korea, I would already have kind of a circle of friends and acquaintances. And then I also realized that you can get a working holiday visa really easily for South Korea, because in France, it's not very common for people to want to go there. <laughs> it's not very popular. So there aren't many applications. So they basically say yes to everyone. And it's also one of the cheaper ones. So that, these were some of the reasons that made me decide to go back there. Mm-hmm. There might have been a guy in the picture at the time as well. <laughs> uh-huh. I see, <laughs> <laughs> but that didn't work out. Oh. Um, but I, yes, yeah, so I left for South Korea, and then I started working there as a waitress. Um, oh. For a few months, I was waitressing in kind of an international restaurant there, and I don't think I was very good at, at a wait as a waitress. But I was uh, enjoying it. I think it was pretty much the best job I've ever done, actually, because it was just. like low responsibility at the time and I'm a night owl and I was working night, like evening shifts night shifts so I was really uh, enjoying the pattern and then you know you get a few drinks after work (laughs) (laughs) and a bit of the food that's left over so and then after that um, I a friend of mine there told me oh there's this university looking for editors and that was my background so She sort of forced me to apply for it, (laughs) and then I got it, I got the job, and I started working for this university in Korea, and after maybe six months working there, I decided to leave Korea, and when I told them, they asked me if I could keep working for them while traveling, remotely. Wow, that had to be shocking when you got that offer. Yes, and then I was like... Whoa, that thing that I had in the back of my mind like for a few years, it's happening now. And it was a big wow moment for me. Wow. And who knew it was
0: going to come from South
1: Korea? Exactly. Yeah. So, one thing that I always tell people who are thinking of traveling and becoming digital nomads, but who are scared, you know, because it is frightening at first, you know, and you don't really know how to make it work initially. I always tell people, you don't need to have everything lined up from the start because for me it was really in steps and if I, hadn't gone to, if I hadn't taken a round-the-world trip, I wouldn't have gone to South Korea and if I hadn't gone to South Korea and gotten that job there, I would never have become a digital nomad. So
0: for me, I had to start traveling to get to that stage. I'm very similar to you, I realize now, because yeah. the job I have now, I got while I was in Japan. And yeah. for the people that listen to this podcast regularly, they know I was in Japan for a long time, thinking I always had to work in Japan. But you don't know the shape of what is going to happen exactly. when you meet people. And yeah. Yeah. So there are people
1: who say, you know, you need to have everything kind of prepared before you go and know exactly what's going to happen. But I think for some people, that might be they might need to know that everything is lined up. But if it's not, you should you know still kind of take the risk and take the leap because it will work itself out. I think for me that was like that's how I felt it happened. It was um, once you start taking a risk, I feel like things come your way somehow
0: and. I think if you've got that intention too, like you're constantly yes. just yes. putting that energy out, yeah. and it's like the world kind of knows yeah. what you want and exactly. people are listening. Like yeah. you told me a story earlier today about that you put something in intention out and you got your newest job. Exactly. Yes. So. yes. And I think it's
1: important to, when you go traveling, you're going to meet so many people and you just have to be open to the connections you're going to make and you never know. Something. One might result in, you know, a boyfriend, a life partner in Laos. (laughs) And another might turn into a job offer or, you know, some kind of partnership. So I think traveling gives you a lot of opportunities to meet so many different people who are doing so many different things. And if you're kind of available in your head that you're going to listen to what they're doing and learn about them
0: Mm -hmm. and make those connections, then you're probably going to find a lot of opportunities on the road. Yeah, I think life just becomes so much more colorful when you're yes. open like that. And even in our hometowns, like I know there's people listening to this that haven't traveled so as uh, for six years or as extensively, but even in your hometown, maybe start by going to different events that you wouldn't normally go to. Who yes. are you going to meet there? And yeah, who absolutely. can they introduce you to?
1: Yeah, so. even in your region, you, know, you travel doesn't have to be going to South America or... Australia I can be just exploring your backyard a bit more and you know traveling within your country within your region as I said like as a, as a child I travel mainly within France and I still loved it you know it's still very varied um, within your own country
0: you can have, you can have so many different experiences. I did want to ask you very quickly about that. You said, I know France better than uh, m- m- most people in France, likely, but it has been a long time since you were there. Yes. Besides Paris, which yes. most people only think of that when they go, what is what was one of your favorite regions? In, um, I, okay. See, I said one of them. I'm not going to make you choose. <laughs> the favorite. <but> like, <laughs> I have so many. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some place that people don't wouldn't really think of right away is like, that's great.
1: Okay, can I say two? You can. Okay. Yeah. So I'm going to say my favorite place in France would be Provence, which is um, the southern inland region. So most people, when they think of the south of France, they think of the coast. Mm-hmm. But inland is, for me, the best part of France. It's full of culture, traditions. It's where there are these lavender fields. Um it's got amazing food, very fresh food. Um, it's got a lot of Roman uh, ruins and architecture. So it's got this amazing aqueduct. Um, it's got a lot of amphi- Roman amphitheater. So a lot of history. Wow. Uh, it's got these perch, you know, hilltop villages that are like the stuff of dreams, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, really idyllic villages. It's got a lot of... Different things, and if you are looking for somewhere that really kind of um, makes you feel what's the word um, a little bit like you're in a dream and <laughs> you somewhere nice. really special, I think Provence is a good choice. And then I'm a bit biased, but I would say Brittany because that's where part of my family is from and it's where I spent most of my childhood summers. Uh, because my family has a uh, summer house there, and uh, it's kind of the w- wild West Coast of France, kind of Midwest Coast, and it's it's very wild. It's got the best food in France, I would say. It's where crabs are from. <laughs> oh wow! I didn't <laughs> uh, cider as well. The best cider. In the world, sorry, I'm just
0: going like, to put it out yeah. there. All the French food aspect is coming out.
1: Yes, and it's got a lot of seafood specialties as well, a lot of um, their own cakes, you know, specialties, pastries. Um, it's a very good region for food, um, for sea lovers people who love nature and it's got all these like islands everywhere that you can visit and it's not crazy it is popular but it's not crazy busy like the south coast Mm -hmm. so the only downside is the weather that is very unpredictable so all year all year round yeah okay but it goes with the wild coast thing you know that it kind of makes it dramatic so it can look very nice even if it's foggy and you just I, have to not yeah, you just have to be okay with not necessarily having amazing sunshine all the
0: time there. Well, think that's a beautiful picture you've painted. I wanna to go to Britain putting on my list. Good, well I have a house there. I
1: can invite you. Oh yeah,
0: <laughs> done. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Thank you. <laughs> well, um, I'm wondering, so I, I wanted to do a little play on this question actually. I usually ask people what are three unique items that you pack when you're doing on all this travel, but I'm going to flip this and ask you, what are some things that you don't pack or you don't need to pack okay. if you're planning for these kind of trips? So, a lot. From what I
1: used to pack to what I pack now, I have limited things so much. Uh, but one thing I would mention is that I never pack uh, makeup removal
0: product anymore. Well, how do you take your makeup off then? Come on.
1: I have a trick. <laughs> oh. So uh, this is something I got from a friend, but um, I she told me that I could use conditioner, which I always buy, by the way. It's very important for me because, you know, my hair is very curly and a little crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so I really need conditioner to have okay hair. And I use it to, so it has three functions. I use it as conditioner. I use it um, to remove my makeup, and also to
0: shave my legs. <laughs> as wow. shaving cream. Okay, and three. it works really well. Um, mm-hmm. So it's a little hack. Thank you. I, I did not know it was yeah. great for a makeup remover. Yeah. So I think I have used it for my legs before. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It is a good hack
1: um, because it's soft, you know. So it doesn't like so. Like, don't use shampoo instead, but a uh, conditioner it works like cream basically. So nice. yes. Yeah. Anything else? Anything else I don't pack? Um, I longer pack um, certain medications that I thought I needed to have with me all the time. You know, when I read these blogs before I started traveling, they were saying, oh, you need to buy, it. like, you need to travel with the pharmacy, basically. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, just go to a pharmacy before you leave and, like, buy the pharmacy and bring it all with you. And I did the first time and then I used like one-tenth of what i brought with me. And while I was traveling I realized that, hey, medication is actually available everywhere. Uh, sometimes more easily than in Western countries even because, you know, some stuff that you have to have a prescription for in, or script in um in the US or in Europe, you can get over the counter in
0: other countries totally true yes I found that to be so because...
1: um I realized that I was so over careful with that and I stopped you know lugging around things for like like pills against motion sickness or for for illnesses that I'd never had in the past I don't know why I so that I would suddenly like develop them while traveling you know
0: and you, I think you find that everybody on like if you're on a bus you have emotion sickness somebody else has that problem yes. and they'll hand yes. you a pill yeah and you that it's probably safe. It's yeah. you know, so. and the other thing that
1: I find is that usually buying the local products for some uh, some types of products is gonna be better because things like sunscreen or mosquito repellent, you are gonna find locally the most effective products. Mm-hmm. If you buy because you know there are different mosquitoes around the world, so if you buy DEET in the U. S. For instance it might not be the best thing for the mosquitoes in Thailand or in Bolivia. And there on site they will sell what is actually working there. So for probably a fraction of the cost.
0: Very good point.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So for me I think yes, bring the necessities and I would not travel without certain medication that I know I might need on a daily basis or that you know I am likely to need, like highly likely to need. But things that are very unlikely, I do not bother anymore because I know I will buy them if I need to in my destination or someone will have them
0: or, you know, I don't need to be like over-prepared. I want to ask you one more specific question about this. Do you pack a hairdryer? (laughs) (laughs)
1: Nope, <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not.
0: Because <laughs> I bought the, a couple. I bought two of them this year, mm-hmm. and of course I don't have a converter, so I think mm. I, I I blew one up in my apartment mm. and, and here in Chiang Mai. <laughs> Uh, from t- from Japan. Yeah, I just but I, I like my hair when I dry it. It looks a lot different for I me. I have straight yeah. hair.
1: Yeah, I think for me I don't need it because I have curls and anyway whatever I do it's gonna look like crazy <laughs> and messy. We we do a very different hair. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Curious about it uh, because I'm
0: I'm bummed that I have to buy it again. You know? Yeah, I
1: understand. Um. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have that problem thankfully. I used to dry my hair, but then I stopped and now I I kind of like it better when it dries naturally. It's definitely better for your hair, I'm sure. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's the myth, anyway.
1: But humi- my hair suffers from humidity a lot in Southeast Asia. Like it's, <laughs> for curly hair, it's not good. Yeah.
0: <laughs> well, of all this travel that you've been doing, what do you think you have learned? What has travel taught you about life or about yourself, would you say? A lot. Um
1: it has taught me, so I think I have changed in some ways. So I think I mentioned it earlier. Um, I have stopped planning as much. I used to be extremely Type A. Um, kind of you know needing to, needing to have everything in control and um having plans laid out, and that has changed. And it was a part of me that kind of that annoyed me. <laughs> Uh, I'm not saying that I don't plan anymore because I still have, you know, you you don't change completely, but I am so much more open to going with the flow and, you know, I go I get to a place and I don't I don't have all the activities lined up. I ask people I meet, you know, what they enjoyed, and then I make changes based on that. Uh, that is one big thing, and then I would say I've become a lot more assertive and less shy I mean much less shy (laughs) I actually think a few years ago I would not have been able to do this interview probably
0: because
1: I used to be pretty introverted and shy and not very self-confident and I don't know something really clicked when I started traveling and I realized that I actually really love meeting people i love going towards people talking to them and now i'm finding myself doing crazy things like last time i was back in france i struck like i struck up a conversation on the metro with strangers which is like a big no-no i don't know if it's the same in the u.s but in France We talk to strangers. <laughs> <more>. <laughs> okay, okay. So in Europe, when you're on the subway, right, the rule is you do not look at anyone, you do not talk to anyone, like you know. <laughs> you're kinda of close but you're
0: very distant. It's pretty much that way in Tokyo too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's like a kind of an unspoken rule that you
1: you do not make contact. And last time I found myself just starting to talk to people, which I think is so weird in Europe but I just really enjoy doing that nowadays. You know, I see people who are like, I overhear people who are talking about something that interests me. I, you know, I'm not like super annoying that I really interrupt their conversation, but if I feel like there is an opening, I'm gonna start talking to them about it and, and that's something I really enjoy. So interestingly, I used to take some personality tests before I, before I left. I was always kinda of in between but always more towards the introvert side. And now I always end up more on the extrovert side, which I think is really interesting.
0: Wow, that is really interesting. Yeah. You can change. You can yeah. there can be a shift and yes. Travel unlocked it for you. Yeah, That's what it sounds like. And about the world I would
1: say I found that yeah, I really believe in kindness and just people being, I don't know, I just don't really like prejudice, and I don't like to stereotype people, and I just feel like you can find good everywhere, I don't know, it sounds a little cheesy, but it's true. I believe the Uh, same. Yes, (laughs) Um, and that there is so much, like, fear-mongering in some countries, or in, you know, in general, in, like, back in my old life. I think I would watch the news and it doesn't... I was I was always kind of someone who liked people and who um, was not very prejudiced or anything. But it's maybe like 10 times 10, you know, where I just also want to be spontaneous, want to be open to like experiences and to making connections wherever I go. So I don't want to go there with ideas in my mind that people are going to be that way or... Mm -hmm. and I think the best moments on your travels are the unplanned ones where something unexpected happens and someone, it happens, you know, you hear these stories, people tell you these stories, I can tell you it really happens, that you're somewhere, you're lost, whatever, and then a random stranger, a local, comes out and invites you into their home um, and, you know, cooks a meal for you, this has happened to me, and that is, just what travel is about i think for me it's not really the
0: instagram pictures or you know the perfect moments it's those moments yeah and they are still happening every day i think people do think yes. it's always oh, it becoming yes. all too mechanical and like just for the gram just no. for instagram no, no i'm just going to tell one
1: story <laughs> <laughs> yes yes um we were in laos a few months ago with my boyfriend and um we So, a sign, we were visiting these waterfalls, we saw a sign for a restaurant. So, we followed the sign just because it said, good Lao food, or something like that, you know, that's just very simple, but that made it sound good. And we kind of get lost following the sign, and then we get into this courtyard, and then this this guy comes out, and he's like, are you here for, I can't remember what the name was, but, you know is that what you're looking for? And we're like, yes. (laughs) And then he invites us into his home, and he's like, okay, now my wife is going to cook for you. And he makes us sit on the floor of his home, and... This is absolutely not what we expected. We thought it was going to be a restaurant, you know, with a garden and like kind of a more proper thing. Mm -hmm. And we find ourselves on the floor of this guy's home, which was pretty bare and you know, no furniture and nothing. (laughs) Oh man! And he comes out with this giant feast for us, and then starts telling us that he's um, teaching English to the kids there, and he has kids from. The villi- all the villages around coming to learn English after school at his place and he's also started a garden communal garden for the whole village and he made us visit the garden he took us around the garden and this guy was incredible he was young as well and we were really surprised because he'd been um, educated in, the, in Luang Prabang in the city and then he'd chosen to go back to his village to just build all these things for the people there wow. and
0: you know that was I think my best experience in Laos in Latin program on that trip that's amazing thank you for sharing that yeah. and like <laughs> you said it was like a couple months ago it's yes just yeah. there's still people yeah. giving and being so generous out there yeah um, exactly and
1: that was uh, for me the best and I you know I have Instagram as you know I this is kind of part of my work and I post all these kind of pretty pictures, but behind that, that was actually the one thing that really stuck with me. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, I have just two more questions for you. First of all, if somebody out there has been hesitating to travel, they've been dreaming about it but not taking action, and they're scared or maybe apprehensive, do you have any advice for these people?
1: Yes, Um, it's normal to be scared, it's normal to be apprehensive, and everyone goes through that. So, first of all, once you take that first leap, and you kind of take that first risk, everything else after that is going to feel so much easier. That's how it was for me, you know, The first making that decision to actually go. And I had to fight people to actually make that happen, you know. I had my family. Um, in France, people don't take gap years, they don't do that sort of thing. So when I told my family I was going to give up everything, (laughs) and quit my job, sell all my stuff to go traveling, they really thought I was insane. (laughs) Um, So it was extra hard for me because I didn't feel like I had their blessing, you know, and I kind of had it in in my head that if I failed, if I had to go home after a few months, then everyone would be there waiting for me to tell me, you know, I told you so. This was not going to work out. Uh, And I still did it and then once I'd made that decision and I started traveling I find that you've taken such a big risk and then you find out that it's it's okay It's not like nothing happened like the world didn't end You're still alive and you're probably having the time of your life then all the small risks or you know decisions like kind of hard decisions you have to take along the way feels so much easier after that and that's how it all falls into place. And the second thing I would say is that if your fear is about um, doing it on your own and traveling alone, so um, that's understandable as well, but you have to realize that once you start traveling, you are almost never alone. <laughs> Amen. Uh, yes. <laughs> uh, I can we both know it, for you right? yes. yes. <laughs>
0: um,
1: actually sometimes you might even end up wishing you were like alone more often (laughs) because if you stay in hostels if you stay in guest houses and you meet people you know you do day tours whatever you are always going to meet people and you're going to make friends and then you're probably going to decide to travel together for a little while and you're gonna end up spending time with a lot of people actually (laughs) and it's amazing and that's actually a fear that is very normal i think i was also thinking oh i might get lonely and i'm not saying you will never you know feel a bit lonely of course sometimes you have to go eat out to a restaurant on your own and you might feel a bit awkward but you will get used to it and most of the time you won't be alone you will be with Probably too many people. (laughs) (laughs) So this is a fear that is common, but that is probably not very justified. You'll find that yeah, you will be
0: surrounded by a lot of cool people on your journey. Nice. Thanks for giving those people hope. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, my last question is, if our listeners want to find you or follow your travels, where can they look? So my main channel is
1: Instagram. You can find me at at Cam Wonderland, Um, like Alice in Wonderland but with an S because I believe there there is more than one Wonderland so that's why I decided to add an S. Um, That's where I post uh, almost daily pictures of my travels and my adventures with some kind of long captions sometimes that (laughs) are More like mini blogs of what I'm doing, and I also post in my stories a lot, so you can see kind of my day-to-day life um, as a digital nomad. So that's uh, C A M. Yes. Wonderland. C A M, the beginning of my name, and then Wonderland. Okay. Sure. Um, and from there, you can find my blog as well, which is Kami in Wonderland. So my full name in Wonderland. Okay. Um, and I think these are my my best uh, the best places to
0: follow me. Alright.
1: And I will put links to those on the website. Yes. So the And I share things. a lot of tips there uh, about, you know, things that we've discussed like how to take the leap to start traveling on your own or with someone else and how to travel on a budget and
0: how to become a digital nomad and make it work. So. Yeah, and I will say that I find your Instagram really interesting because you do take the time to make a mini blog. So you do learn more about you than you would normally do on an Instagram. That's what I try to do, yeah, to uh,
1: write longer captions, even if I'm not sure everyone wants to read such long captions. But if they do, at least it provides a lot of information and inspiration, I hope, uh,
0: for people who want to do something similar. Well, thank you very much for taking the time to join us today, Camille. Thanks, Stu, for hosting me. (laughs) I learned a lot more about you today, too. Yeah, I think you gave a lot of helpful tips and information. So. Cool, I hope so. <laughs> and I hope you have a great time for the rest of your time in Chiang Mai. Thanks. I hope that you enjoyed all of Camille's stories as much as I did, listeners. It really inspired me when she said, it's okay to run away because you may not be really running away. You are really running towards something. And I liked how she switched the perspective there and made this often negative reaction that, you'll get from your friends when you tell people that you're going on a trip they always say oh what are you running away from but i think we should yeah think of it more as running towards something uh, in Camille's case running towards a new career running towards unexpected and spontaneous magic in her life and a new man in her life that she is still with today so i mean you just never know what running towards something is going to bring you. And I love that inspiration from Camille. I'm going to put links to Camille's Instagram, which really is very entertaining, on my website, theschooloftravels.com, and also the link to her blog. If you want to do some searching, I'm going to put a few links to round the world tickets. There's a few alliances of the airlines out there, and it's usually best to Purchase through an alliance, especially if you're going to do it with miles. But also there are many different companies you can call to to try to put together the best combination of a round-the-world ticket for you. Sometimes you can just buy a few flights, like five flights together instead of 11 or 12, and it still saves you a lot of money. So that is a really good tip from Camille. I'm also going to start trying the conditioner tip that she gave me because I still, <laughs> I still only use conditioner as conditioner, and it turns out it's multifunctional. So I hope you have a great week, listeners, and as always, I'm going to leave you with a travel quote. This one is from physicist Max Planck, and it's not necessarily directly travel-related, but I thought it was really interesting to, to think about. So it says, when you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. And I think that's great to think about because when you go traveling, you really do change the way you look at things ever after. And then when you come back and you look at the things that you return to, they've changed because you've changed. And I think it's a great quote for us this week. I know Camille certainly changed on her journey. So thank you, Camille. Thank you, listeners. If you haven't subscribed already, subscribe to theschooloftravels.com, share this with a friend, and I will see you in the next episode. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world. Get rid of